please. With colds and flu, I know there are lots of people away this morning, so just pray for them that they would be healthy and strong. I'm going to pray and then just get on straight away with this morning's message. Father, I thank you that your word is true, that your word speaks straight through to us. And this morning as we look at your word, I ask that you would challenge our hearts and transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. So last week we looked at the beginning of our series through the book of Titus, which is in the New Testament, and we jumped straight into chapter 2 to have a look at what it means, uh, what the grace of God means, how we are saved by grace, that through Jesus God saves us by grace, and through the Holy Spirit he empowers us to live by grace, and that actually it's something that we don't earn our position and our salvation and our forgiveness of sin isn't something that we earn, but it's a gift from God as we respond to him. And um, so we looked at that. Just um, And for those of you who weren't here, it was just a reminder that actually why I jumped there was because of everything else that we're going to be looking at now with the rest of the book. Because remember when the letters of the New Testament are written, they were written so that we would read the whole letter at once. And often we nowadays, because of the chapters and verses, we break it down and we look and we look at little bits and pieces. But actually, we should take those books in the Bible and read, certainly in the New Testament letters, as, as a letter, each one in its entirety to get the full picture and then reread to study. And so it was just that, that Paul puts that in the middle of that letter to Titus as a reminder, and on either side is all this other stuff that we're going to be looking at. So I, I really just felt that we needed to have that as a foundation and a reminder constantly that we saved by grace and we live by grace, and through the grace of God we're empowered to live a godly life. And so this morning we're going to jump back now to Titus chapter 1, and uh, we, I'm not going to go verse by verse, but again we're going to jump around a little bit, because, but we will cover everything eventually. Uh, but I wanted to give you a little bit of a context. I briefly mentioned some of it last week. What we have is this is a letter from Paul, the apostle, to Titus, who was part of his ministry team. He had been in a number of different places with him. Uh, Titus was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. And he was on the island of Crete. And uh, Crete was the, is the fourth largest island in the Mediterranean. It was a key place then for, uh, I don't know what it's like now, I think it's more of a holiday destination. I've not actually been. But uh, it was the fourth largest island. It was very key on the trade routes. It had quite significant ports all the way around the island. Um, uh, it, was a num- it was made up of a number of towns. It's quite, uh, from what I can see, uh, it's, uh, it's quite, uh, uh, from what I've read, it's quite a mountainous or kind of hilly island. And uh, uh, the, the classic writer Homer said, called it the island of a hundred cities, a ha- island of a hundred populous cities. And so there are these cities all around the, the island that, or, or towns that people were a little bit more cut off from each other. So that's the geography and everything else. The other side, culturally, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. It was in Greek the the word for liars called is I think this is how you pronounce it kretizio, which is basically cretin. In other words, they had this nickname that actually, if you were a cretin, in other words, someone from Crete, you were a liar. So that was an insult to someone if you called them a cretin. You're basically calling them a liar because that is what was commonly known as their culture on that island. They were liars, they were gluttons, there was violence, there were treachery, there was sexual immorality and everything else. Even their own poets said that about them. 
And that's the culture of that island then. Hopefully some of it's changed. Um, But that's the culture of the island then that they were living in. And a lot of the men on the island were actually mercenary soldiers. They had been mercenaries. So you can see it was a violent place, not somewhere where you would particularly choose to live. We also know that in Acts chapter 2, people from Crete were in Jerusalem at Pentecost and got saved. And yet they don't seem to have impacted too hugely on the island uh, from what we can see. So that's what the island is. And the island's religion was steeped in all the old mythological things of Minos and Zeus and all of those kind of people who were scheming, slanderous, immoral gods. And you kind of think that's what they prided themselves in that those gods lived there and were there. And, and how you see is what they believed in and what they gave themselves to actually became what they were like and, uh, as, a, as a culture and as a people. And um, it's into that culture that we see Paul and Titus ministering. And that's what this letter is for. And so the, the island didn't have a good reputation. Paul had been there at least twice, we know, once on his en route to, Jeru- uh, into, to Rome when he was uh, imprisoned and he's on his way to Rome to be imprisoned. He, they stopped there and then he went back again with Titus uh, and he's left Titus in Crete to uh, help establish churches. And then he went on, and Titus's, uh, Crete wasn't to be Titus's final destination. He was also, Paul encourages him and asks him to go and meet him in other places. So we know that that wasn't going to be Titus's permanent home either, but there was the, the purpose was that they would be and see churches established on that island. And so what we can understand from that, even in that brief context is that although the world saw Crete with one, in, in one way of being not such a great place, a great a kind of liars and brutes and all sorts of violence and everything else and not much hope and didn't want to go there, Paul saw it from a completely different point of view. He saw it that actually those people need Jesus. The only way to transform the island and, the, and that community group was that if they encounter the living God, Jesus, the Messiah. And the only way to do that was to have churches in every single one of those towns. That's why his instruction, we'll see in a bit, to Titus is to go and elect elders in every single one. So Paul sees it from a completely different perspective. That actually, in one, and from one point, that the people need Jesus. They need the hope of the gospel. They need the, the, the truth of who God is to come and transform who they are. And he also sees it from a, another perspective of it is a strategic place for the gospel to go from there to the nations of the world. With the, island, with the, with the ports and everything else, it's actually really key with a kingdom view, the kingdom of God extending, not just the local, but reaching the rest of the world as well. And the purpose and the way they look at the strategy was to have churches in every town. And the idea, as we go through the letter, you'll see it was his call and his exhortation to the believers wasn't that they would fight against the culture, wasn't that they'd go and um, put up displays and everything else, but was uh, uh, and and fight against like we would see kind of, I suppose, riots and protests. But it was that they would 
immerse themselves wisely in living with the people of the culture, but not being like them, setting an example of salt as salt and light to point people to Jesus. And so Paul starts off by saying, calling himself uh, uh, an apostle, a servant, an apostle of Jesus, with his role of teaching them the faith, uh, teaching them the faith and knowledge that comes from the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. That through God who is promised, and God is the God who does not lie. That's how he starts the letter. That he is an apostle and a messenger. That's basically what that means. And a servant, basically a slave. So what he's saying is, I'm actually a servant boy or a messenger boy of God. Come to Crete, so I'm a nothing and a no one. Come to Crete and, and, and other places to preach the truth of the gospel that is based in our hope in Jesus for an eternity with him. And this is based on the promises that God gives. And remember, he is a God who doesn't lie. Now you contrast that immediately with all the gods that the, Cre- the Cretans held in high regard. And they were proud. They, they were prided, I don't know what the right word is, the fact that they were lying, seducing gods. And so even there in his opening statement, he draws this incredible contrast between what the culture of the day sees and lives with and the truth of who God is. God does not lie. Your gods are a lot of lies, brutes, and false. And that's why it's impacted them. But he starts with that point of actually, and I'm just a messenger of this God who doesn't lie. And our faith is based in, in, in the hope and the reminder of God that this God who is different, this God who does not lie, this God who is the only God, that's the one we serve. That's the God whose message we carry. And why is this so important for us to understand? Today's not a history lesson. The Bible isn't, I mean, it is a book of historical fact and everything else, but it's not so that we would just know those things, but so that actually through this we can be transformed. And I think there are a number of things, even from the short bit that we've looked at already this morning. The first is that just as Paul saw Crete in a different light, my question to us is, how do we see the society we live in? The society in the UK, the society in Crawley, we have challenges. Some might think it's not very dissim- it's not dissimilar to that. Others would think it's vastly d- different, but I'll probably say there's somewhere in the middle. But our community in Crawley, our community in the UK and beyond, into Europe and the world, have the same challenges. If you just have to look around with violence and lies and deceit and corruption and all those things, people displaced because of all sorts of things that are going on in their countries. Stuff that goes on right here in Crawley. And we can have that view of the, in, in the natural and think, goodness me, it's a mess. There's all these different things. Or we can choose to think, actually, what the solution is, is that the, these people in Crawley, these people in the UK, these people around the world who don't know God need God because the only way we will change is if we change on the inside. And we change in the inside by surrendering our lives to Jesus, accepting him, coming to that point of understanding that our sins are forgiven and we live a different way. And so just as Paul looked at the island of Crete that everybody else had given names to and spoke down on, you, there are some people who give call Crawley certain things, which I won't repeat. But so in that way, it's similar. 
And so my question is, how do we, as children of God, view the town we live in? How do we view the people of the town we live in? How do we view the nation we live in? Is it one of despair and utter failure and everything else and think, well, I don't want to be there, I don't want to? Or do we see, actually, what is needed is that they need Jesus. The only way that we are going to see transformation and change isn't by political, uh, I don't know, protocols or anything else. It's not going to be by clever, ingenious um, inventions. It's going to be by believers who have experienced and know God and therefore live differently with the love and the grace and the joy of God and the hope in the future living as salt and light in the world we live in. So that we know the people that we live in. See, God doesn't call us as believers to live separated from the world. He, he tells us not to live in, with the same thinking in the way that the world does. So we need to live uh, with honesty. And we can look at all those different things in the weeks ahead. But the key is that we have encountered Jesus, the living God, who's transformed us. And so we live in this world as salt and light. See, we have, I've spoken about it before, we have a, a garden with many flowers in it. Well, not this time of year, although there is quite a few still. And, they, and, and I love bees and I love honey. And, and the one thing about a flower is that a flower doesn't try and attract a bee. Have you ever seen a flower trying to attract a bee? They don't. They created just to grow and bloom and display the splendor that is in them and what happens the bees are attracted in the same way we we can often try and do things and put things on and and we need to display something to attract the world to us and and in, in doing that we sometimes miss the very key thing is that actually it's not about us it's about christ in us and actually, we just need to be wherever God has planted you, whatever neighborhood, whatever workplace, whatever family, just to be exactly who God has created you to be and flourish as being that person and let that beauty and peace and joy and hope that God has given you be the thing that draws others, not to you, but to him in you. That's what Paul's saying. Actually, what the church, in, what the, 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 the community of Crete need are, are churches where people live reflecting God in such a way that they are attracted to his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his love, and the hope they find in him through them. So how do we view the town we live in? The people that we mix with, the pe- well, I hope we mix with. Because we're not called to separate ourselves from the town and the people. We're called to live in this world, loving, walking alongside, helping, making a difference, pointing them to Jesus. Not like they do, but as Jesus teaches us. It comes first and foremost to what do you see about the town that we live in? Because God's promises are the same. God's promises for salvation is for every person in this town as much as it was for that, that island of Crete, as much as it is for you. It's for every single person. God has a plan and a purpose. God's promises over this town that he speaks through his word that we would be different, that we'd uh, encounter him and be transformed. That is true. The strategic position of Crete 
there's a strategic positioning of Crawley. If you think we are so close, Gatwick Airport is in our boundary. There are multiple cultures in our community. And within a minute, we can be en route to anywhere in the world. A few minutes, you're at Gatwick and you're gone. When we go and minister in, in, in Paris, it takes two trains and one bus. Crawley is strategically placed not just for business. It is strategically placed for the gospel. That If you think of how many people have been displaced through all the different things that go on around the world. We've had some visit us regularly. Some have been moved. Like Ali's been moved. He's been, if you didn't know um, from Iran, he's been moved now from the hotel that they were staying in just randomly to Folkestone where, the, where there's um, uh, a camp where he has to be because he's an asylum seeker. He loves God, growing in him. Those are people from different nations who come to Crawley. Why? Because of whatever is here. So we are strategically placed. Yes, there are things that people say about it, but let's view it from God's viewpoint, not the world's. We're strategically placed, yes, for the f- practical things of business and everything else, but let's view it from God's viewpoint that actually the nations come here, and from here we can go to the nations. Remember last week, uh, last week or the week before, we picked up someone from Kyrgyzstan from the airport to take them somewhere else that knows God, that God's working in their life. So let's start viewing it as, God, what is your plan? You've positioned this town for that, and you've got me in this town. What is your plan for my life that goes beyond my little world of my neighborhood and work, but our town, our nation, and beyond to the nations of the world? And that's for every single one of us. If we understand that God places us where we live by his plans and purposes, not ours, therefore God has that for us. So we actually need to see that us as a church, God's plan for us is the same as his plan was for Crete. That through you and I, living as believers of God in relationship with him in the communities we live in, is God's plan for reaching those who don't know him with the truth and the hope of the gospel. Because that's the only thing. Each one of us, as we've responded to him, know that that's the only thing that transforms us is by surrendering our lives to him. No plan of us. Remember a few weeks ago, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, so that I, when I backpacked around Europe, I thought, actually, let's, I can reinvent myself. And you can't reinvent yourself from the outside. It has to be an internal. We can't change anything of our lives by mere hard work, mental thinking or anything else. It's, it requires submission to God and the Holy Spirit working through us. And as do that, then we impact those around us. But let's be those who don't view our town as the world does or the world sees, but as God does. With faith and expectation that God will reach those in Crawley through us so that actually they would be better off because they come to a point of relationship with him with a hope and a future. Not hopeless, not worrying about where the next thing's coming, but knowing that God loves them, cares for them, has got their lives in their hands. Make sense? But that's what we see just from reading that little bit of the book of Titus about and understanding a little bit of the context. We can see such power that came through from God's view of that place rather than us. And, and um, if we look in chapter 1 from verse 5... 
Paul says to, to Titus, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then we're going to jump down to chapter to verse 10. We are going to cover that other bit, but not this week. But from verse 10 it says, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things that ought not to be taught, and that for the sake of, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even their own prophets have said, Cretans are liars and evil brutes and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in faith and will pay no attention to the Jewish myths or the commands of of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupt. They claim to know God, but their actions deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. That sounds quite harsh in some respects. But what he's doing is he's calling out. Why? And I think it's, it's important for us to understand. Paul writes to Titus to remind him of these things and to encourage him, to point him back that this is the reason you're here. Why? Because when we live in a society that constantly speaks against, constantly wears down with a different set of values and a different set of expectations and sp- tries to destroy and, uh, traditions and true, uh, things that... that, that we can easily start to think, well, what do I believe? And we start to think, well, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that. And it's good for us to be reminded, just as he did here, actually the purpose is to preach the gospel, the purpose is to plant church, start churches, plant churches. But remember that it's, this is what it is. This is what you call to. Actually, remember that the purpose is for us to be here is not for us to have a, a, a great community, which is wonderful to have, but it's to that we can make a difference to those around us. And so we need a similar reminder because like Crete, there are similar things that are coming against the values and the truths of the gospel that the Bible stands on and that we build our lives on. And if... If we're not constantly reminded, we can suddenly find ourselves drifting. And what we see here is that he, 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 he rebukes those who have traditions, so people who added to the truth of the gospel. So the circumcision group were saying that actually what you can believe this, but you need to add these Jewish traditions. You need to add these things in order to be a real believer. You have to do this and you have to do that. And he's saying that's nonsense. They're adding stuff that shouldn't be done. They're teaching things that are destroying whole households. Silence them. In other words, those who are, somehow they had these corrupt teachers in the church who were teaching these things for dishonest gain, trying to make their own money out of it, which again, if you look on the news, unfortunately sometimes isn't that different to today. And we have to say, rebuke those people. Don't listen to the junk. Don't listen to the myths. Don't listen to those lies. There's the gospel, and the gospel is the truth. Build your life on that. Remember that. Don't add these other things. And he, he comments that actually they, they say they're believers, but their lives deny that they are believers. And so that's, one is an encouragement for us to remember, this is what the Word says, this is where we to go. You know, I, I've used that picture before many, many times, where in the old days, I don't know what they do now, probably so now, when ships came into harbors, they'd have these beacons of light, that as it came in, the, the captain would steer the ship towards one, and then as he got closer, he'd move towards the other, so that by making the course adjustments, they navigate through and miss the sandbars. When we look at the Word of God and allow the Word of God to constantly just help us make adjustments in our lives, it's so that we don't shipwreck our lives 
because of the things of the world and the things that we do wrong and the stupid decisions we sometimes make. But if we say, God, we're going in this direction, help me to adjust, help me to adjust. And that's what he's saying here. Remember, this is what the word says. Don't do that. Don't add those things on. It's like, okay, I've done that. Let me correct. Now this, now that. And so as we look at for the rest of the, of the book of Titus over the next few weeks, remember that, that it is by grace that we live. By grace we save, by grace we live. So we're empowered by his spirit working through us. That's the way we make changes if we understand and know who he is. But it's a reminder that we constantly need to make those changes. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. To those who are corrupt, nothing is pure. But let us not be those who say we believe in God. We believe in him, and we li- but our lives deny that completely. That's hypocrisy. That's, that's nonsense. That is not how a believer should live. And unfortunately, sometimes that's how those who do outside the church look at the church and think, well, they're a bunch of hypocrites. Sometimes that accusation has some grounding. But let it not be said of us. Actually, let us be those who take the word of God, make the adjustments so that with everything in us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we try and live our lives. I'm not saying that we are going to be perfect because we're not until we get to heaven. But as we allow God to make the adjustments in our lives, let us preach the truth but also live the truth. The way that the, the, the church in Crete was going to impact the community in Crete was by them not being the liars and the immoral and all those things that they were. And not trying to do it out of their own strength, but also not throwing um, moral hand grenades at them, but by saying, actually, I'm just going to live out what I believe. And that's the same call for you and I, to take what the Word says, to understand what the Bible says. In other words, to to read it, to study it, to talk with others so that it becomes a part of us, so that what we live out lines up with what we say we believe. So that when you encounter your neighbor or your family member that doesn't know God or your work colleague or in the community, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, when they look at you, and look at your life, they can tell that actually you're different and that you live what you believe and not be a person who sprouts out all these things. This is what you have to do. This is what you should do. This is what you mustn't do. But you do them yourself. Now, I know there's grace, but this grace enables us to say no to ungodliness, not to excuse it. But again, here he's saying this is what it is. Don't be hypocrites. Don't be like they are. Live by the truth of God's word. Don't be mere talkers. But live what you believe. Why? Because that's what that society needs. That's what this society needs. That's what our neighbors need, our families need, this nation needs, is believers who know God, who live by his way, not removing themselves from the world, but in the world with wisdom, being, bringing transformation, being ambassadors for him, being salt and light. Those, those are the pictures that the word uses. The Bible uses the, the, the analogy of us being ambassadors for him. In other words, everything that we do, live, we live as a representative for him, the king. It speaks about us being salt and light, and everything that we do stands out as the world gets darker, so the light should be brighter. Salt draws people and makes them hungry for what is of God. So as we end, my first question for each one of us to consider this week 
is how do you view the town you live in? Is it fashioned and formed by what people say, what you see, what you've experienced? Or is it through prayer how God sees it with people who need him that there can be change, there is a hope for the future? And then how do you see your role in the town we live in? Is it one to live removed, observing and criticizing? Or one being so involved that no one knows you're a believer because you're doing everything that they do? Or is it what the Bible says, to be part of the community but live in God's way? In other words, we're in the world but not of it. What is he asking of you? And let our lives and our doctrine line up that we live out that. Why? Because God's plan hasn't changed. The message of the truth of the gospel is for every believer, every person in the whole world, whether they know him yet or not, the gospel message is for them. And the way that God is going to do that across this town and this nation and beyond is the same as he's going to do there, which is churches of communities, which are communities of believers who live authentic lives surrendered to him that reflect him transforming the society that they live in. That's what we call to. That's what he's challenging us with. That's what God's desire and plan is. And God doesn't lie. And God doesn't change. And God knows every single one of us individually, by name, everything that's gone on, everything that will go on, everything that is going on. And yet he still chooses to work through us because that's our purpose. As a church, our purpose is to know him and make him known, to love God, to love others and see others transformed by knowing him. Where do we stand in that? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you don't just leave us alone to do our own thing and But actually, as we come to you, we become your children and you are involved in our lives. And Lord, I ask for each one of us that this week, even today, that as we go, that we will start to view our town as you see our town. With a hope for a future and things that can be changed and not criticizing, not throwing um, judgments or in any way, but with a heart that wants to be those who brings transformation to our town with the hope of the gospel, with the love that you've given us that we can show others. Father, I ask that you would help each one of us to step into those things more and more, that where we've made mistakes, Lord, forgive us for those, but help us also to make the right choices as we move forward, that we would be a community of people who would live what we believe, who would be salt and light, in this world, in this town, in our neighborhoods and families that would draw people to you, Jesus. Help us be those who show them the love and grace of God so we can preach the gospel and share the truth of who you are that would bring freedom and wholeness and healing and we would see transformation. Thank you that you have placed each one of us in Crawley for such a time as this. Let us be those who make the most of every opportunity, God, 
by the leading of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful. Thank you so much. If your children are through, you need to fetch them. Otherwise, there is tin coffee next door. You're welcome to join us. There's also tin coffee at the back if you'd like to have it in here. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next weekend. Um, And remember, next weekend is a bring and share lunch as well. Thank you.